0: The gorillas got sick developing white scaly skin and losing hair. And when we went to check, we saw that the baby gorilla was very weak and the rest had lost almost all their hair. And so we went ahead and treated them with ivermectin. We suspected it was scabies, it looked like sarcoptic mange in dogs and cats. So we gave them one dose of ivermectin and they got better, but Anthony, the baby gorilla was too far gone and died.
1: Welcome back. To Africa Science Focus, I'm Michael Kaloki, and you were just listening to the renowned conservationist Gladys kalema Zuksoka. In 2008, there were just 600 known mountain gorillas left in the wild. Today, it's believed the population may be just over 1,000. We'll hear more about that from Dr. Zuksoka, a Ugandan wildlife veterinarian and the founder of the organization Conservation Through Public Health.
0: So when we did the post-mortem, we, it was proven that it was mites that had gone all over the body, and the gorilla also died of pneumonia because it had lost almost all its hair. Mm. You know, they got the scabies because of poor hygiene. They went out to people's gardens to eat their banana plants, and they found people put dirty clothing on scarecrows to chase away wildlife, and that's how they probably got it. Gorillas are curious. They'll touch anything, just like humans. And then they groom each other, so it spreads quickly through oh. the group.
1: Dr. Kalema Zuksoka tells our reporter Halima Athmani that it was back in 1996 when a gorilla scabies outbreak began to spread that she realized there was an urgent need to include communities in conservation.
0: We held a workshop with over 1,000 community members in eight villages and we moved together with the community conservation warden and ranger, district sub county health assistant and International Gorilla Conservation Programme who funded the workshops. Mm -hmm. They came up with very good ideas of what we can do to improve the situation. Many of them were already benefiting from gorilla tourism, and they were very willing to listen to what we had to say. They said, we don't want to make the gorillas sick. They're getting us out of poverty. Then we went to DRC, Mm -hmm. where, because the Bwindi is is contiguous with Sarambe Forest Reserve in DRC, and the gorillas sometimes go there, because we think maybe even that's where they got the scabies, but as long as they're able to still go to DRC, Mm -hmm. they can still pick up other diseases as well. And when we got there, it was a very interesting meeting because always the first question I would ask is, how many of you like gorillas? Mm -hmm. Not even how many have you seen gorillas, how many of you like gorillas? So when I asked that question when we went to DRC, I was shocked by the response. Everyone kept quiet. Then an old Muzay stood up and said, in his life he's never seen gorillas. (laughs) So I was just like, oh! I turned to my fellow like Ugandan delegation and I said, are we in the right place? So then I asked the lady from International Gorilla Conservation Program, the Congolese, what happened? You know, like you were supposed to mobilize the communities, but it looks like you mobilize the wrong communities. Mm -hmm. Then she said, no, they're lying. They've seen gorillas. I'm like, oh my goodness. So so I'm like, so why are they lying? Then she said, they're scared. Because we came in soldiers for protection, and they thought we had come to arrest them because the, some gorillas had got lost in DRC. Mm-hmm. So they said the best thing we can do is to tell them that we've never seen gorillas. Um, but it was a big eye-opener for me of conservation. It starts off with dialogue before you can do other things. Mm-hmm. And the Congolese community had not had that dialogue.
1: The One Health approach recognises that human, animal, and environmental health are all connected. For her important work around One Health, the United Nations Environment Programme has just named Dr. Kalema Zuksoka a champion of the earth. That's their highest honour. Much of Dr. Kalema Zuksoka's work has been in low-income East African communities that border protected areas where conflicts between humans and animals are common.
0: So... That was the beginning of my One Health journey. And then after that, I thought, why don't we set up an NGO that can improve the health of the people as well as the animals? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the recommendations they came up with were very, very good. I got an opportunity to study abroad. They actually asked me what I wanted to do when I returned. They thought I'd come back and work for the government. Then mm-hmm. I said, actually, I want to start an NGO. They were like, oh, that's great. You know, like you can use your last year attending Non-profit classes which were there for Duke University. They were really supportive. And then they even gave funding as funding to start the NGO.
1: Many of sub-Saharan Africa's poorest and most isolated communities live in and around protected areas. Poaching and habitat loss can be major problems for wildlife communities. While diseases can jump from animals to people. These are known as zoonotic diseases. Halima finds out more. As part of your veterinary research, you also, you focus on parasite transmission from humans to mountain gorillas. Yes. If you can just explain that to me, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm using so many big words and not understanding how that comes in. Like,
0: scabies is a parasite, and that's why we felt it's important to focus on parasites. Mm-hmm. But also, there are also parasites that, you know, when people have open defecation in their gardens... And gorillas visit those gardens, they can pick up that hookworms or even bacterial diseases which cause cholera and typhoid. We have a gorilla health centre in Bwindi where we have a field laboratory where we regularly analyse samples from gorillas. Every month we collect samples from every gorilla group and look for what they could have and what they could be picking up from the local community. And then we're able to address it in the local community or directly in the gorillas, or in the livestock. Mm-hmm. Even they can pick up parasites from the people's cows or goats, yeah. not just from the community. Okay.
1: And, and, and just relatedly, as a zoonotic expert, uh, how have you been able to inculcate this research in light of the pandemic, ensuring that the animals are still safe in their habitats?
0: We have s- used that same approach now to address COVID, to prevent the spread of COVID. Mm-hmm. It's a respiratory disease, it's more infectious than parasites, you know, which require fecal-oral transmission, but someone can just cough on you and you pick up COVID. Mm -hmm. And just as we can easily make each other sick with COVID, we can also make other animals sick, like the gorillas and the chimps that we're closely related to, or even other species, Mm -hmm. because COVID has also spread to cats, like lions and tigers in zoos. We started off by advocating the Uganda Wildlife Authority and together with other NGOs, so that whoever visits the gorillas should wear a mask. Mm -hmm. This was in March 2020, so we trained the rangers to put on masks mm-hmm. when they visit the gorillas. And when, they had, when they're taking tourists to the gorillas, everybody should wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Then we also realized that there are people who had gorillas back from the park when they come out. They also need to wear masks. They're called gorilla guardians or Hugos, human gorilla conflict team. Whenever they go to people's gardens, mm-hmm. they had them back. So we got them to wear masks and to maintain a 10 meter distance. But what we did is we got the local entrepreneurs from the community to be the ones who make the masks. Mm -hmm. So that even though tourism had to stop for six months, the government stopped it for six months, poaching went up, but at least those people who were making masks for rangers and guerrilla guardians, at least for them, they kept going. Mm -hmm. Then we also trained our village health and conservation teams who are community health workers, just the VHTs. We trained them to do conservation work. At the time that the pandemic began, we had 270 VHCTs. And they talk to people about good health and hygiene, family planning, so you can have a manageable family that you can look after and that won't get sick and that you can break the poverty cycle so you don't have to depend on the forest all the time to survive. Those same VHTs also talk about if you're sick with scabies, tuberculosis, HIV, things like that, they give advice on what they should do. They refer them to the nearest health centres. Then they also teach them about good nutrition, how to, to do sustainable agriculture so they have enough food. Yes. So those VHCTs, we added COVID to what they teach. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a gorilla was killed by a hungry bushmeat poacher mm. in, in June 2020. Mm. Rafiki, who was heading the Nkuringo yes, Gorilla Group. Yes, yes. yes. And we realized that many people were unhealthy because they are poor. I mean, many people are like hungry. Mm. And part of the reason people are getting hungry um, because they had no money from tourism. The lockdown. And also just the global lockdowns. They couldn't go, for example, to DRC to do trade. You know, there were so many different reasons. But the biggest reason is that they were so dependent on tourism. You know, even as we they were telling us the main reason they poach is because they are hungry, at least if they're able to eat, then there's less reason for them to enter the park to poach. Mm-hmm. We've so far provided fast-growing seedlings to 1,500 households around the park. Well, these people are now, like, growing food in their gardens, using, you know, proper soil and water conservation methods, so at least they're able to eat. And even as the tourism is beginning to pick up, they're not relying on it for food security, it's just more for other things.
1: As a champion of the One Health approach and a pioneer in gorilla conservation, Dr. Kalema Zuksoka has found surprising ways to unify local communities and wildlife. In 2015, her organisation, Conservation Through Public Health established Gorilla Conservation Coffee.
0: We started off in 2003 when we founded the NGO together with my husband, Lorenz Iksoka, and Stephen Rubanga, who's a vet technician working, he was working with the Minister of Agriculture. Mm -hmm. And the main area we started focusing on was improving the health of the communities and making sure the gorillas are monitored very regularly, Mm -hmm. not just when there's an emergency, So, and then trying to make sure that the people don't make the gorillas sick. So that was how we began. We also implemented that similar model in other national parks because people were eating wildlife, which could, could also make them sick. So we're looking at disease in both directions. Mm-hmm. And then later on, my husband added the component of telecenter because he's a telecom specialist. And he had seen how telecenters were helping farmers in India. He had worked there in Orissa. Mm-hmm. So when we came to Bindi we set up a community telecenter where people could interact and continue communicating with tourists, even after they've returned. You know, they extend the tourist visit by sending emails, and even before they arrive, they can send them photos of their crafts. Mm-hmm. So they come and they've already booked them, and they're ready to buy them. Oh. So it was really helping the livelihood part. So after 10 years, we started Gorilla Conservation Coffee, and because we realized that many people were unhealthy because they were poor. Mm. And when you'd be trekking gorillas, you would often would often cross coffee farms and sometimes when you're tourists, they stop and tell them this is a tree, a coffee tree, Rabasta, Arabica. And mm-hmm. Tourists get excited because many of them only see coffee in a supermarket. But then I found out that those people who are planting that coffee, they were not getting a good price for their coffee mm-hmm. and a steady market. And later on, we found that these same people were entering the park to poach mm-hmm. and collect firewood because they had no ready income. And so we, my husband actually came up with the idea, of why don't we develop a global brand which can save gorillas so we started gorilla conservation coffee where we give the farmers above market prices for good coffee and it has to be good because we have to sell it more than what we what we bought it Mm. and the, the coffee is good because it's a high altitude you know wind is a high altitude the gorillas live in a mountain and so when you have high altitude you can have very good arabica it was among the top 30 coffees sampled by Coffee Review in 2018. Wow. Number 29 out of 30, mm-hmm. which we're really pleased because the venture was, the social enterprise was just in its early beginnings. And it encouraged us that the farmers of Windy can actually produce very good coffee mm-hmm. if they're trained in the right way, which is what we're doing now. We're trying to get all of them to be at the same standard so that they can all produce that very high quality coffee. Mm-hmm. We work with all those coffee groups, Um, coffee experts, they've come in they've given us expertise, they've trained our farmers and New Cafe helps to roast the coffee and package it and so then a donation from every bag sold goes to support the work of CTPH so a donation goes to support the Gorilla Health, Community Health and Community Education we do and in that way we're trying to not just rely on grants all the time Mm And donations but also to be able to have a sustainable business you know just like tourism is being seen as the most sustainable way to sustain conservation gorilla conservation coffee is also another way to sustain conservation
1: there you have it from forest communities to coffee beans and mountain gorillas that champion of the earth for science and innovation Gladys Kalema Ziksoka And that's our final episode of Africa Science Focus for 2021. We'll be back on the 12th of January with more amazing science stories from your communities. In the meantime, you can catch up on all our shows on your favorite podcast app or by heading to the SciDevNet website www.scidev.net. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis and edited by Fiona Broom, with reporting from Halima Azumani. Africa Science Focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio station. I'm Michael Kaloki. See you again in 2022. This program was funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York.